and welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Anna Rutberg. And I'm Casey Miratori. And our movie this week is Batman Returns. He does not return to the movie club because we never watched the original Batman on Movie Club. Well, we've watched the Batman. We've watched a Batman. That is a Batman, (laughs) not this Batman. It's a different Batman. It would be cool if if there was a movie called This Batman. (laughs) This particular Batman. Sadly, there isn't. But... Yeah. This is a sequel to the first, I want to say, big comic book movie of the modern film era. Yeah. Batman was not... Like, Batman and Superman and, you know, the Marvel DC, like, X-Men, all these things. Nobody cared about any of these things. Basically, since they ran the Superman franchise into the ground. I think the thing that Tim Burton's Batman really did was bring some of that, like, darkness into it. I mean, I I think it's still... It's not nearly as dark as now what we're used to with Batman after, like, the Nolan Batman stuff. But at the time, I'm sure that that definitely was noticeable. It definitely was noticeable. I guess what I'm trying to say is it was the start of the Infinite Batman or mm-hmm. the or the Infinity comic book series. From the first, like, Tim Burton Batman, they basically never stopped Batmaning. There was mm-hmm. five of these... Two from Tim Burton, or four of these, two from Tim Burton and two more or three more. Then Christopher Nolan rebooted it and they did three of those. Mm -hmm. And then they rebooted it again Mm -hmm. for, you know, this one. And so this was really, I would assume, a pretty pivotal moment in movie history in a way. Because unless uh, maybe maybe you want to count the original Superman one, but this sort of started this ridiculous trend of infinity superhero movies. Yeah, the I mean, previous I think one. the superheroes were becoming pretty popular again at that point. Um, because even like Batman the Animated Series, I mean, it, it's really well known. That would have started not long, I think, after the Tim Burton Batman. It even uses the main theme, the same music. And I think, yeah, that's like pretty quickly after that comic, comic book things start becoming pretty mainstream. Yeah, if you look at the kinds of big-budget action movies or spectacle movies that were made you know, prior to this, it's all original IP, as you would say, right? It's, it's Indiana Jones and Star Wars and, you know, Die Hard and whatever. I guess you shouldn't call Die Hard original uh, IP. They did books a lot. Not comic sure, books. Sure, sure. So original IP is probably a stretch. Let's say IP that's not from comic books was very common. Comic book IP, very rare, I would say. Mm-hmm. Then the start, you know, with this Batman, it was like this increasingly, they they kind of started more and more going forward. And the Batman Returns uh, sequel was pretty interesting because it seemed like maybe this wasn't a movie people particularly liked all that much. Like, like I don't remember being talked about all that much yeah. or whatever, but it was plenty successful and they just kept making Batman, yeah, well, I, I briefly, which maybe was sort of the lesson the movie industry took away from it. I don't know. I briefly read about that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was like curious, like, how did it do and that kind of thing? It was a hit, obviously. Yeah. It was a big success. It wasn't as well reviewed. I think people were thinking it was too dark because I think, you know, people were still very much like, oh, superhero movies, kids. Interesting. And this and this movie is definitely dark. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of violence. There's yeah. guns. There's, yeah. um, I mean, like the penguin is like 
really disgusting and like yeah yeah uh i mean for me the big standout thing with this movie is the is the visual experience the the, not just visuals too because the music is really great um but the feeling of being in this world it's such a unique creation um and to me that's the big standout thing about batman returns i would agree the movie itself is a little bit uh lackluster i don't super like it the i would say that the mostly it's a screenplay issue for me. Mm-hmm. There's just not a lot going on in this movie that's very interesting or engaging. Yeah. There's not a lot of actual meat on the bones. There are things they are trying for with Batman and Catwoman. And the Penguin. And the Penguin and Max Shrek. Sort of like two separate uh, threads going there. But they aren't really able to make those sequentially work out in a way that's satisfying. We'll talk about that a bit. But before we move on to that, I totally agree about the visuals. I think Tim Burton, this was when his sort of artistic style was really working for me, where, you know, it it seemed like he was paying so much more attention to what was on the screen than a lot of people in that era in terms of creating new things. Mm -hmm. You could easily find movies that were looked really great, but having this like, oh, we designed the baby carriages to have this weird swoop of the handle and yeah, to yeah. have right and we designed the bridge to have this little thing on it. And you know, that whole like, oh, the whole world looks like it was drawn by somebody. Yes. That feel was hard to come by. And I think this movie, like the original Batman, totally has that. And it makes the movie, at least for me, fun to watch when I really don't like the movie very much yeah i think that's that's definitely true because it's it's like every part of it every new scene every location yes is the design of it is so so interesting it's there's like i love those big uh sculptures there i don't even know what exactly the style is they look sort of like art deco sort of like soviet era like they do sculpture yeah you're talking about the big ones that are like holding the things outside the like they're holding like the sort of like rockefeller center looking yeah yeah yeah, yeah, with the tree um but they give it this really kind of like oppressive feeling right it's the darkness of gotham really comes through i think we talked about this a little bit with the batman where in that movie, I think Gotham had a, it had a very different feel to this movie, but mm-hmm. it had a good feeling. And I think this movie has its very own take on what Gotham is, but it's a place, right? It's like, it's this heightened, exaggerated, very cartoon. This movie feels like a cartoon Batman, more so than a comic book Batman almost. This feels like cartoon Batman to me. And, this, and, and I yes. don't mean that in a in a negative way. Whereas, like, I think my biggest... One of my biggest criticisms, I think, of, like, Nolan Batman would be that it's just filmed in, like, Chicago. And it just – it doesn't feel like Gotham. It doesn't have that mm-hmm. that sort of heightened dark city thing going for it. Um, and this this movie just nails the aesthetic. Um, and not just in the environments. The characters. Like, Penguin is amazing. It's fantastic. Oh, my God. Every time he's on screen, you just can't tear your eyes away. The performance is amazing. Danny DeVito absolutely crushes the performance. Uh, He's so good. One of the things that I remember vaguely, and I could be wrong about this because this is from my childhood, is that like Michael Keaton pulled out of Batman after this because the villains were always the focus of the movie. And it's like, you know, I I don't understand that kind of decision. I know actors have, you know... uh, 
they're supposed to be very egotistical or whatever and okay, whatever. But my point is simply, I do agree with the observation. When you watch these movies, uh, Jack Nicholson was the thing that stood out about the first Batman. And uh, Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer are what stand out about this movie, not Batman. Batman is just kind of going around and he's almost just a tour guide for these other cool things. I would add... Although Max Shrek is just a business guy, Christopher Walken is also way more fun than Batman. So you do get this thing where it's like the the fun thing about this movie is the rogues gallery and Batman is really just not interesting. That was I will say that was really noticeable in this movie. I I didn't realize that it happened with Michael Keaton actually. I may be wrong, but I remember. Well, but I'm not surprised because actually during the movie I was like, where's Batman? Like he's just not (laughs) in it. Like and, and you're not really upset about it i do think he batman does get some fantastic moments uh like the first time you kind of see him when the bat signal goes up and they do that shot where it kind of like the the symbols behind him it's like it's great it's um hammy and over the top and just like delightful and he you know i think this movie gets that it gets the coolness of batman it it's good at communicating that uh visually too like he's got lots of fun moments but yeah it's not it's when you like thinking back on this movie, you think of Penguin, you think of Catwoman for sure. Uh, yeah. Catwoman was also incredible, Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, so I had never seen this movie before, but I had seen online one time before a clip of her. So when she takes the whip and knocks the heads off of those four mannequins, she actually did that in one take. And I had seen that clip online before. Um, and it's just incredible. She really learned how to use that whip, and she just, in one take, takes all those heads off. And, like, everybody in the crew is, like, after cut, is like, woo I do think, so uh, this is, again, why I say I think a lot of my complaints with this movie are, are script complaints, meaning there wasn't enough interesting written into the screenplay. Yeah. Because I do think Michelle Pfeiffer did a, a really good job trying to make this Catwoman work. And to be honest... It really doesn't work that well for me. Yeah. And, you know, I I really don't think you can fault her. I feel mm-hmm. like she was trying as hard as she absolutely could. I would say, actually, in spite of the script, she makes this character super memorable because the writing, it's kind of completely nonsensical. Like, you're, you it's don't, a mess. you have no idea what happened to her. And separately from that, like, why it happened. Because I'm like, Okay, you could believe it was some magical thing like the cats gave her nine lives or whatever, I guess. Uh, But it's just, it's like... Well, to me, you know, that part doesn't bother me that much, although I do think it's kind of annoying, meaning it's like, all right, that's not very interesting. It seems like what they were actually trying to go for was like, she was hurt. Like she, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's like, I am a bitch now, basically. Uh, The world's a bitch and now I am. It was something like that. And I'm like, okay, I, I think this is what that character is sort of about. It's like she was hurt enough times that she kind of snapped and became Catwoman, right? And I think the movie doesn't make that clear enough because I think I like that explanation a lot for this character. Sure, yeah. Um, but it just doesn't come through well enough. My problem with it is less that. Okay. Um, I do, I would have liked something more interesting for that, for sure. But my problem is just where the movie goes with it. Mm -hmm. So the movie, the rest of the scenes that we get with Catwoman for the most part, um, with the exception of her deciding to team up with Penguin nominally, which, uh, you know, happens for all of about five minutes. 
uh, and then it's undone anyway. But the bulk of what's supposed to be happening with Catwoman is there's supposed to be uh, a tension between Catwoman and Batman and Selina Kyle and Bruce Wayne Mm -hmm. in that they kind of like each other uh, as uh, regular identities and are fighting each other as superheroes or however you want to phrase that. The problem with this is that although Batman does assume two different personas, he is sort of like a very aggressive fighting, you know, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Vigilante? Very active, very active (laughs) person in the mask. And he's like a very passive, doesn't really say that much, kind of just stays at home person when he's himself. They failed to do that with Selena Cowell and Catwoman. When she is portrayed after turning into Catwoman, her regular identity of Selena Kyle is also Catwoman. Very aggressive, sexually aggressive, assertive, mm-hmm. uh, you know, comes up with witty sayings. So the problem is her regular identity and superhero identity are the same person. Which makes the scenes with Bruce Wayne where we're supposed to believe that there's a dichotomy between them. She even they have fake discussions where the screenwriter is writing things as if they're both conflicted people about who they are. But it doesn't work at all for me because she's obviously not conflicted. She's just Catwoman now. The only difference between her normally and her Catwoman is just the outfit. They behave identically otherwise. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, right down to her having a gun at the masquerade ball, she's just basically going to do Catwoman stuff there without the costume on. Yeah. She's just Catwoman. Yeah, because I think the, the bigger change in her personality ha- is before before yes. she becomes Catwoman and after. Because it's truly after she's pushed out the window, from there on out, she's just different. And I think that's why the thing I was like, yeah. the thing I was missing was like why that change happened because I think that's the more important thing for her character. I, it never adds up to really feel like that change made sense. I feel like that's part of the reason why I, yeah, I, the way I would say it is, if she had remained Selena Kyle esque mm-hmm. when out of the costume, yeah, if if we had had it more that like putting this on allows her to be a different person that then the other scenes make sense mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it's like she's still kind of like super unsure and timid when she's actually can be seen but when she puts this costume on and nobody knows that it's her she can be this totally other person mm-hmm. then all the scenes with Bruce Wayne make perfect sense now and the things they say to each other make sense but because they decided to make it like the entire character changes completely mm-hmm. and cannot regress back to the old state it just doesn't make any sense yeah. the way they wrote it now you can still do that but the rest of the scenes have to be changed they can't be the way they were because i'm just sitting there going like this doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense this is you're writing it as if you did one thing but you didn't do that thing yeah so yeah no i, I agree um i think the other thing too is this movie is just like long you know toward the end stuff just kind of keeps happening with penguin like it's a little too much. And it's just, you know, you're kind of just like, okay, like I'm ready for this to be done. And I think it's just that's all down to writing because 
being in the world is fun. Um, like, man, those penguins with like rockets attached to them was like amazing. Like, I was like, this is this is hilarious. This is great, right? It's so weird and um, it's kind of like this great spectacle. Um, but but it's just like by that time in the movie, you're just kind of like you just don't really care anymore. I think there are some problems that are a little deeper than that too, though. Mm-hmm. So one of the problems that I would say this movie has is it doesn't know what is and isn't serious. Yeah. And I think that's a huge issue when it comes to ending the movie. So if you want to end a movie and you're trying to end it in a way that's supposed to feel big, mm-hmm. which they were doing, this 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 movie doesn't end with a whimper, right? It ends <laughs> with like a bunch of stuff happening. There's a literal bang. Penguins in Lots the sewers with rockets on them mm-hmm. and and you know, Batman is flying around in his little like sewer skimmer thing there. I guess it's a bat wing. I don't mm-hmm. know what that thing yeah, is. The bat hovercraft. He's flying around in that thing and Selena Kyle is chasing after Max Shrek, uh, not the ogre Shrek, uh, <laughs> but just the regular Shrek. The Christopher Walken the Shrek. The Christopher Walken Shrek. The debonair Shrek, not the green Mm-mm. Shrek. And, you know, by that point, the movie has conditioned you to think of everything as being quite silly. You know, the the circus carnival thing is sort of played for laughs a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a silly, silly poodle grabs the batarang sorts of stuff. And I like those things. Yeah, the tone of this movie is very unusual. I like sure. those things. Yeah. I d- enjoy the mother happening. The problem is if that's the way you're playing up your action, um, you're really not going to be able to rely on that for the climax because you, the audience isn't scared. This is a silly action movie. It's, yeah. It's, it's more about sort of gaffes and visuals you know, it's not Die Hard. You're not in there going, oh, my God, how's he going to do the thing? Like, what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. Like, no, because there is no what's going to happen next. It's like something silly is going to happen next. And so the problem is when you get to the climax of this movie, they needed the drama to come from somewhere else. And you can see where it would have come from. There are many ways that it could have come out. It could have been about Max Shrek and the Penguin and their relationship it could have been about Batman uh, and Catwoman and their relationship and you wondering who was going to take which side and how, right? Other than that, they've got nothing to fall back on. They did not do that. They basically didn't have any way to make that interesting. All of the elements they tried to kind of get, but they couldn't. And so they were just left with a very flaccid sort of action sequence thing but not really yeah and it's just super uninteresting i think i I think the other thing too is like they really they they like half did the thing where they they want you to kind of care about the penguin or at least like feel sorry for him and you do like he's actually a fairly sympathetic character even though he acts like an asshole yeah but i do think i i do think like this movie the thing that's cool about it or that that's like memorable about it, which is its tone. It's heightened and dark, uh, but also goofy and silly, like the duck thing that the um, I love the that duck rides. thing. Yeah. yeah. So there's this like light with the dark kind of tone that's really unusual and really memorable. But the downside of that is, I think it it kind of hinders where the emotion of the movie can go. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I think they easily could have. The problem is that they can't do it with action. 
This yeah. is what, in other words, you can easily have very strong emotions in like a kids program with fluffy ponies Absolutely. or whatever, oh, no, right? No, I'm not saying that light, you can't have emotion in something that's kind of tonally lighter. I'm just saying either way, the the characters, what's happening to your characters can be very light or very dark, irrespective of how you're portraying the visuals, because it reads as a different thing that's going on. You know, will this person decide to do X or Y? even if that is very dark decision, mm-hmm. works in the middle of a lightly... In fact, sometimes the contrast is very interesting, right? Yeah. Um, so I think they could have easily made those scenes much more impactful. They just didn't have the writing chops for it. The series of events are largely incoherent. I mean, they're really just sort of... Yeah. It's almost... It's not a road picture, but it's almost a road picture where you just have some random series of things that these people encounter. Yeah, it feels right? really... The events of the movie, especially toward the end, feel totally random and disconnected from anything. Yes. And I think it gives you this feeling as a viewer of just being really disengaged. Like, at some point, you kind of just shut down, at least for me, and you just, like, stop caring, which is obviously a big problem. <laughs> and you can see very easily, like, how this movie could have had a lot more actual emotional bandwidth in it yeah. because we have characters who are all like pretending to be things that they're not and we have a lot of ways we could look at that and if we just cut some of the extraneous stuff that we don't really need and had some more scenes where there were actual conversations well written that established what these characters were struggling with at at various times through the film then I think we really could have carried it and the ending would have felt impactful and unfortunately they just don't have that and I think that's the reason why this movie is not nearly as enjoyable to me as watching the first one the first one isn't great at this stuff either Mm -hmm. but it's much simpler and more straightforward so you can kind of just watch it as a basic, like, fable much more easily. Yeah. This movie is large and sprawling, a lot of characters, a lot of plot points, and it just, it can't really do what yeah, it's trying to do. I do think it's it's perhaps trying to do a bit more than it can handle. Because, I mean, you've got you've got the pieces there, right? Like... The characters are individually great, right? Penguin is fantastic. Catwoman's fantastic. But it just feels like they never quite get the opportunity to have the story, like, support them. Um, the performances do and the look of them, right? Like, those things really work. And there's that's the thing, too, that's frustrating is, like, with each with Catwoman and Penguin both, there's, like, aspects of the character that they sort of started to... Like, in the case of Penguin, they... They give you his backstory, right. and you see that happen, and you feel bad for him. You feel genuine sympathy for him. And I feel like it doesn't end up ultimately meaning all that much or being that important. And the same with Catwoman, what I was saying before, is it's like you never really feel like you understand why she is the way she is and what she's doing. And I think in both these characters, it's like it's not hitting the mark, but it, it has all the pieces there. It's just not putting them together. I would say the same thing about Max Shrek. Yeah. So it's particularly strange because, you know, towards the end of the movie, he, like, sacrifices himself for his son. Don't care. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's just a weird thing to even have in there because you're like, okay, were we having some kind of character arc with this guy? Like, it came out of nowhere. I didn't care about it. Mm -hmm. It was just 
dead weight in the film. It would have been better if he was just grabbed by the penguin and left. The firstborn thing was not interesting. You didn't care. And you it never, never ended up mattering. Like, it just doesn't happen. It's it, just Batman stops it. Batman like, just stops okay, it. You could you, have cut the whole thing from the movie. You don't even ever meet one of these firstborn this one of those families with a firstborn who's going to get abducted. Oh, and I also feel like it just doesn't work. That was where I think my brain starts shutting down because it keeps feeling like, oh, this is going to be the climax, and it never is. And then yeah. it's a bit, nope, and then this, and then nope, yep. and it's like it's just weird. Like, why not make like in some ways? I think for Penguin's character, the firstborn son thing is like actually a fantastic way to like complete his arc that feels true to his character and and to the thing that was sort of working about his character right well and again it doesn't really feel that impactful either way because you know it's hard for me to believe he cared about this plan all that much because like max shrek just kind of suggested maybe he should be mayor and then he dropped it only to pick it up again later once he can't be mayor like it's very straight like you just don't feel that the penguin doesn't really not only does he not seem to be taking much agency in what he's doing mm-hmm. which is weird but he also we also don't get any drama out of the fact that he's not if part of the climax was him being very mad at Max Shrek for playing him mm-hmm. now suddenly those subplots start to be have been paid yeah, off and I think, but I that th- never happened and i think that wor- that would have worked really well for him because he is a sympathetic character from the start, right. and it would make sense that he would be someone who was kind of almost naive and innocent and easy to – it would be easy to manipulate him, right? Yes. Um, and then he could be betrayed and actually become the true villain. I think that would have been a lot more interesting, too, because if you imagine – like, what actually happens in this movie is Max Shrek is actually, to for the most part, an upstanding guy – to Penguin. Mm-hmm. To Penguin. Mm-hmm. Not to everybody else, but to yeah. Penguin. And so we don't even get any drama there. If if actually, and it, not only that, but the Batman thing about, well, I recorded this thing on my burnable CD-ROM, because that's the advanced technology <laughs> in the Batmobile, is the writable CD-ROM drive. I recorded you saying some bad things, and I played them back at a political rally, and now you're, uh, you know, not going to be mayor anymore. Obviously written in an era where somebody thought that playing bad things about a candidate would make them not yeah. be mayor. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Hilarious. But hey, those were different times, I guess. But my point is, that's not interesting at all. It was like totally not interesting. Mm-hmm. If instead Penguin had been become mayor or or Max Shrek was using him for something else and as soon as that happened, he just stopped. He just like backstabbed penguin basically or something yeah. like that and then they were on the outs and penguin turns much more evil that's a way more interesting plot yes and again uses max shrek more in more from to more interest because right now in this movie he's not that interesting mm-hmm. again despite a very fun performance from christopher yep. walken so i just feel like this this screenplay just has no idea what it's doing at fundamental levels, and it's it it doesn't have a skeleton. It's just the outside, it's just the skin, but it's not wrapped on a skeleton. That's so creepy. That's it's just not... a deflated pile of skin on Ooh. the floor, Yikes. and it's like no one wants to look at that. No, that sounds um, pretty awful. And that's why this movie doesn't work yeah. to me because the visuals are so good, and there's so much potential in who you're talking about because mm-hmm. the penguin 
and Catwoman are both very interesting and could have been very interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's just really a shame. It's really a shame. Yeah. This is this is one of those movies where we just are like the screenplay massively lets it down. Yeah. If you take this movie and you give it a really good script, suddenly this movie becomes like maybe one of the best Batman movies ever. It definitely had a potential to be one of the best Batman movies with the raw materials that it had to work with. And it just, it couldn't get anywhere near it. I I do think, like, I know everybody's like, Heath Ledger's Joker. And to be fair, Heath Ledger's Joker is amazing. But I kind of do feel like the Burton Batman villains are really, really, really good. They are. Well, I'm, and, you know, I mean, I, I would say that this actually shares a great deal in common with that movie was like uh, The Dark Knight. Is that the one? Yeah. This has to be Thudger. Um, in that there's so much great raw material that you're getting from these iconic characters paired with people who are performing them mm-hmm. beautifully, mm-hmm. Uh, in like Heath Ledger's case or Danny DeVito and Michael Pfeiffer. But the screenplays suck. And and this is a huge problem in these movies. It happens over and over again with these Batman movies where you're like, you get these directors and actors who are doing an amazing job putting something on the screen that you want to see. And then the story is just incoherent and totally flaccid. And it's it's unfortunate. But, you know, I, th- I think it's... It's a common curse of big budget movies, it seems. Yeah. And I mean, that was that was 92, I think. It was, you know, it was a long time ago. Batman but, Returns. Yeah, Batman yeah, yeah. Returns. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's still a really memorable movie for all the things we've talked about. The visual. And I mean, let's talk about the music briefly. Danny Elfman's score for these Batman movies is just fantastic. I, and it fits. Yes. I mean, the Danny Elfman, Tim Burton combo. It makes a lot of sense. Always has worked well. They're all. They're both just dark carnival. That's their whole thing. Yeah, and it, they're and, both dark and carnival. And when you put them together, they just click so well. Yeah. In a, in the world of film, there's like a handful of those like composer director combos, yeah. like a Spielberg John Williams kind yeah, of or yeah, something. Yeah. That just when you get them together, it just yep. really really works. And this is one of those. Absolutely. And yeah, I absolutely. think so. The, this movie, despite all of the problems with its story and its script, still manages to be remarkably memorable thanks to. Tim Burton's visual sort of imagination, the combination of that with the music and the the characters, the fantastic uh, villains. It's like it's still a really, really memorable movie. I do have some complaints about the visuals, actually. Okay. Um, while there's a lot to like in this movie, we've talked about a bunch of it. I would also point out the opening credit scene is fantastic. It's like a baby carriage floating yeah. down the sewer and there's all these like fun shots it's really creative about all the different places they put the carriage and how it comes in and out of frame and how you see the water on it and all stuff it's just very creative and very visually uh, engaging for just a bland credit scene otherwise right mm-hmm. um the thing that i would say struck me about this batman movie though that is i would say kind of unique to it among batman movies <laughs> That I really didn't like is that Gotham City in this movie feels very boxed in and tiny, and I did not like that. A lot of the shots feel very claustrophobic. There's a lot of big walls close together when they're doing shots of things like the speech. There's like a tiny box of people and nothing anywhere in the background. There aren't people moving around. And um, to me, in a way, if I had to say... Obviously, Tim Burton's artistic vision 
for visually what's on the screen mm-hmm. is a big differentiating factor for this movie. Yeah. But that said, everything else about this movie, to me, is almost a harbinger of the terrible comic book movies that are to follow. Mm, okay. Lousy screenplay. Weird, like, cinematography where things feel small. Um, This sort of... uh saving the movie with performances thinking Robert Downey Jr. Sure. right yep. or uh you know uh, Benedict Cumberbatch or, or I mean you could just uh, say you could say separately like the characters like I think that's definitely not just true. the characters but the actors specifically because yeah, yeah. what's written for them is garbage right yeah and it sort of like it sort of portends this sort of thing now nowadays we don't even get something like a Tim Burton visual experience so it's it's definitely a step down from this movie but it's sort of like almost to me is like this bad sort of omen this movie yeah. is about where things are going to go. Uh, and yeah. so in a way, I kind of felt that when I was watching it, which obviously I didn't feel at the time. I saw this movie in the theaters. I, I'm fairly certain way back in the day I was a little kid. Uh, I would have been in high school or maybe junior high school or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, now looking back over, I don't know what it is, 20, 30 years uh, I'm just like, yeah, this is kind of the slide started early, uh, you know, yeah. um, it started early because if you if you uh, compare this with the other big franchises, you know, your Die Hard and Terminator and the Star Wars and Raiders and all in all these other things, the kinds of blockbusters going back to the future, E.T., they were much stronger screenwriting wise. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, this one is the first one we've gone back and watched and gone like, oh, man. I mean, yeah, it's like it's easy to look back at, you know, the the, the classic movies we remember from the 80s. And but say, it was every year. I'm just saying, you know? like, you know, there were a lot of duds at the same time as there were those gems. So it's like, you know, it is what it is. But I do think, yeah, it's like this movie is just a great example of like how important the writing and the script is. Yeah. is to your experience of the movie because or at least to me maybe other people are just no, like no, I, don't I, care. I even though i think i'm not maybe as sensitive to script as you you absolutely feel it in this movie you, you become do. disengaged you and do. that's a problem yeah. yeah you by the end you just don't care anymore all the spectacle in the world and all the great performances can't save that i do think there's some fundamental things about screenwriting that you just kind of have to have at least for me which is you know a screenplay needs to ask some questions it doesn't really need to answer them. Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, we we recently did Mulholland Drive, which is a great example of asking questions or making observations without ever being all that concrete or trying to answer them. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like it's raising issues or concepts in the person's mind that they think about or you know want to engage with. And you don't have to provide answers to these things, right. right? You don't have to be a propaganda piece. You don't have to tie everything up with a little bow or whatever. That's in some t- sense makes things worse when you do that. So, you know, but you need to have something there. You need to raise something, right? Like, um, and, you know, I think this movie is just a classic example of a screenplay that asks no questions. It has no ideas. It doesn't know what why these things are on the screen Mm -hmm. you know and i think that's a really big problem especially when you've got so much stuff happening it's it's really a shame to not get anything out of it that i want to think about yep right nothing um and you know sometimes that's okay 
in a movie that's more of a comedy, a straight comedy, you think into something like a Ghostbusters or something like that, where the point is we're just laughing in the theater, you know? Sometimes that kind of thing can work. Um, but I feel like in things that are action or drama oriented, I rarely have seen it. It's pretty hard. Maybe some of the like Yuan Wuping like kung fu movies or something. I'm trying to think of an example of where I can watch a non-comedy and be okay with the fact that the screenplay is not very interesting. I think the visuals, if the visuals are, if there's something going on with the aesthetic of it that's just so impressive that it can't be ignored, then you could probably get away with it. Well, this movie is kind kind of of that, though, and it's not. I think that's because it's not kinetic. There's nothing in motion about this. The still frames of this movie would be great to look at in a gallery, and you wouldn't need a story. You could just be like, oh, that's really cool. When you're watching a movie, you need something. Action, inherently, I think, needs either story, which this movie doesn't have, or something inherently beautiful about the motion, which this movie also doesn't have. Yeah. And so when you fail both those counts, you're back. You have to now have the screenplay. I think it can't really be substituted. Yeah. Um, at some level. No, I think I think that's true. I think the ending is probably a great example where the spectacle is just not enough. Like as much as I love penguins wearing rocket packs. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like it's a funny, interesting thing to watch, but it's not the kind of spectacle that is impressive enough to distract you from the fact that there's not, like, a story supporting it. Yes. Um, so, yeah. It's just kind of a letdown because so there's so many good things about it, but... Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It. I think probably if I were to try and fix this movie, I would, I would have tried a lot harder to say, this is a four-character movie. We've got Penguin, Shrek... Catwoman and Batman. Before I do anything, mm-hmm. I'm going to figure out how there is some kind of important decisions one or all of these characters have to make during the climax that will determine how the outcome goes. Mm-hmm. Because as an audience, I want to be invested. Will Catwoman side with Batman or will she side with Penguin? Just basic stuff like that. And yeah. this movie made well, the it, very odd yeah. choice to literally not do any of that, which is strange. You arrive at the climax with no questions in your yeah. mind. Well, I think what you mentioned before with the idea of Penguin, maybe Shrek star- is, is starts out as yeah. more of the pure villain, and Penguin ends up being kind of dragged along or manipulated by him, and then you end up with a decision of, is Penguin, you know actually truly evil or has he just been led astray and he could make a decision like no i'm going to be the villain or like no i'm not similar to what you said to catwoman like well having the cat, there, yeah having there maybe have to be a decision where where the character has to decide who they want to be and especially in a yes. movie as you say that's about masks right like yes. there's two sides to each of these people right and uh and so and both both um catwoman and penguin could sort of have to make a decision about who they want to be, like which mask they want to wear. Exactly. And I think it's especially ridiculous in this movie that they didn't do that because we're literally, there's at the end of the movie, Batman and Catwoman are talking and Batman's just like, hey, like, just like, let's just take him to jail. And this scene is just so bad on so many levels to me. Uh, It's just, it's just the, uh, it's so obvious that you don't know what you're doing, right? 
First of all, Batman can't take Max Shrek to jail because he's taken off his mask, which would mean Max Shrek would now know that Batman is Bruce Wayne. So obviously that shouldn't have happened, right? Yeah, that was that was so dumb. But the real crime of this scene is they put in the part where he's asking Selena Kyle to make a dis- this exact kind of decision I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. However, nothing hangs in the balance. Max Shrek is already incapacitated, basically, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he shoots Batman with a gun, but Batman's fine, right? Uh, and there was no reason for him to even have had that opportunity because they had him completely surrounded. It was just dumb, right? If It's almost like they knew they should have this decision in there, but then didn't make it. It should have been that Batman can't, like Batman is too preoccupied with Penguin or has is like keeping Penguin from doing something. And he's entreating, you know, yeah. Catwoman, say, you know, get Max Shrek before he does the thing or before he gets away or do something, right? Or whatever the climax is. And Catwoman decides what's she going to do. Is she going to be fight for good? Or is she going to fight for evil? Or is she going to go some middle road, right? Mm-hmm. And instead, they just don't do it. Yeah. You're just like, you. what's going on? No, you, know, I think, it's very I, strange. I, you get that feeling throughout that sort of like they kind of half thought about the right thing, but then like didn't. It's like, I don't it's understand. Like, it's like they weren't able to. They had the pieces of the puzzle, but just weren't able to put them together or something. I don't even know if they had the pieces. They just were doing things randomly. And it's so it makes it even more mysterious when they do something because you're like, oh, they're going to do this thing. And they're like, oh, no, they're not. Okay, uh, what? And so it's like, I don't know. It's very strange. I always wish I could go back and, like, talk to the screenwriters of something and ask these questions because I don't understand how these things get written. I never do because I'm just like, what? why didn't you do the obvious things here that you would have done if this is what you were trying? And if this wasn't what you were trying, why did you write this? Like, it's so bizarre. And I never know because a lot of times you don't get much information. I, there, William Goldman, the guy who wrote Princess Bride, mm-hmm. Butch Cassidy's Sundance Kid, uh, All the President's Men, he uh, writes books mm-hmm. where he talks about screenwriting. And it's actually really... I really enjoy them because it's like, oh, okay, I can actually find out what the heck someone was thinking when they wrote the Mm -hmm. screenplays or what the process was like that ended up with something. I just want to hear someone explain what they thought was happening in this scene and why they didn't do it in so many other ways that would have been obviously more dramatic or, uh, you know, it's weird. And so I I just I I, I'm always kind of a little bit mystified and I wish I had a, a more insight, but I don't. Well, I'm not sure I've got that much more to say on Batman Returns, do you? Well, it is part of our Christmas movie series. That's right. It was Christmassy. It does. It's Christmassy. There's some snow. There's a Christmas tree lighting twice. There's there's enough Christmas in this movie that I think it's a it's a Christmassy movie. It's like it's throughout. It's not just like one scene. It's like the whole t- the whole thing takes place over over, you know. It's- even even the first scene when Penguin's parents dump him in the the river. That's on Christmas right, too. There's a tree, isn't there? In their there's house? a tree, and yeah. and I think somebody wishes them like a Merry Christmas, right. or or they wish somebody Merry Christmas or something. So the whole movie is set at Christmas time. Uh, weirdly enough, it feels less Christmassy to me than Die Hard, uh, but yeah, still a Christmas movie for sure. Yeah, yeah. What's our next Christmas movie? Uh, our next Christmas movie is going to be Klaus. Um, oh, this will be our first, which is a very Christmas movie. Very Christmas Can't get movie. more Christmassy than Klaus. Um, it's going to be our it's our first animated movie on the. That's right. Um, molly movie club and i've always wanted to try to get more animation in the movie club 
I feel like animation is undervalued as a a form of filmmaking and and you know is often viewed as just a like a childish thing yeah that shouldn't be taken seriously and I think that's so wrong yep and uh, so yeah we'll try to get we'll try to occasionally get some animated movies in here um, and this is a great one if you're uh, if you're not sure you want to watch it I think you should. Um, the visual style of this movie is just incredible. Yeah, it's um, very well done. Yeah, And so it's definitely worth a watch. So uh, we'll see you next week for Klaus. See you back here for Klaus, everyone. Bye.